All right, if you would, for the last time, take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John and chapter number 5. This is our final sermon in our series on Christian certainties, and this is the final sermon on this tremendous epistle. We started it sometime, I think, spring of this year, and we've gone through it each week, verse by verse, taking our time to look at everything that the Lord has for us in this tremendous little book. Um, it's been a joy. I've said this many times. It has been just a joy for me to study and prepare each week studying this epistle. I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss it something awful. Um, and I pray that you all have taken some things away from this series that maybe you, in fact, have not, had, not, uh, had not known or thought about. I pray that the original intent of the Lord through the, append, through the pen of the Apostle John has been conveyed, and that is for the true child of God to know that you know that you know that you have right here and right now eternal life. Um, we've seen that on the surface, this epistle appears to be very basic. But as we've gone deep through each week, going verse by verse, we've seen that it is very high, it is very wide, it is very broad, it is just rich with eternal truths. We've seen the spiritual test that the Lord has impressed upon John to help us identify true and false teachers and true and false believers. And I pray that those who may struggle with spiritual assurance that you struggle no longer. And that uh, when those fiery darts of the devil fly your way, that you have some things that you can look to that will reassure your hearts that you have been redeemed forever by the sinless son of God. So this morning, we bring this epistle to a close with the final four verses of verses 18, 19, 20, and 21 as we consider part three of Christian certainties. So look with me, 1 John chapter 5, beginning at verse 18, these are the words of God. We know that whatsoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that the wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God has, is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are so thankful for your word. Father, in the time that we have remaining together, I pray that you would remove me, that you would use my tongue as your instrument to speak forth your word this day. Lord, may it go forth. May it accomplish your purpose in each and every heart and each and every life. And may each of us be drawn closer to our Lord, our Savior, and our Master, Jesus Christ. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. The key word, as we've said many times to this epistle, is the word know. K-N-O-W. It's used some 40 times in 1 John. It is used eight times in chapter 5 with four of those coming in the final four verses that we are considering this morning. 
So let's jump right into the final Christian certainties discussed in this passage. Let's look at the final four certainties in this epistle that, that this epistle says that we know. Point number one, verse 18, we know the personality traits. Look again at what it says. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. As John winds down this letter, John reiterates a point that he's he has stated over and over and over in the in this epistle that no one who has been transformed by the new birth can go on living in an unbroken pattern of sin. A true born again child of God cannot go on practicing sin as their normal lifestyle and be a genuine Christian. Something is off there and it's not on God's part. Sin will always be tempting. Now, as you grow, some things may tempt you less and less. Some things may still tempt you as they did the very first day that you were saved, as it did when the, uh, as it does the, the day the Lord calls you home. Some things just may always be tempting to you. But the genuine Christian that truly knows the Lord will not run to sin and make excuse for it as if it's acceptable in the sight of God. Think about the qualities and the personality traits of the unconverted. The unconverted can do nothing but sin. Psalm 51 verse 5 tells us, Behold, I was shapen, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. This is saying that the unconverted, the, the, the one who is outside of Christ is, not, is a sinner from birth. John chapter 8, verse 34, the Lord Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave to sin. I've talked about this in the last several weeks. The people, the lost, the unregenerate, thinks that they're free to live however they want and do as they want, when in reality, they are slaves to sin. And the unregenerate are definitely defiant and rebellious haters of God. Listen to these words of Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 28. For it says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, that is the, that is the ultimate uh, uh, indictment of the world today. That is the ultimate symptom that we see displayed in the culture. The culture knows by birth and knows from creation that God exists, but they want to push it down. They want to suppress it. They don't want to acknowledge God. I'm reminded of that truth just this past week. We had a meeting at work. I'm very, very, very blessed to work at a Christian company where we're able to discuss our faith openly, where that it is very much acceptable. And we were talking, and, and the guy that was speaking today was talking about, in this meeting was talking about, you know, when, you, when, you, when you're out doing your job, everything, we're, we're Christians, so everything we're, do, we're to do to the glory of God. And as he was saying this, this one particular individual stepped away. When you are not living for God, you don't want to hear things about God. 
You don't want to hear it. You want to silence it. You want to suppress it. You want to turn it off. You don't want to hear anything about the word. You don't want to hear anything about church. You don't want to hear or know anything about Jesus. You want to shut it down and turn it off as if it does not even exist. So that's why the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 1 verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, you suppress that knowledge long enough, you run from God and run towards sin. This is the next step, verse 28. And God gave them over to a reprobate mind. United States of America right there. We saw that just, just this past Friday, right down the road, right? When a guy who does not want to retain, did not want to retain the knowledge of God, right? God was certainly not first and foremost in his life. Takes a firearm, starts walking on the bypass, starts opening fire at whoever, right? Wickedness is just everywhere. In verse 29, it says, being filled with all unrighteousness and fornication and wickedness and covetousness and maliciousness, full of envy, murder, uh, Debate, deceit, malignity, and whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil things. Man, all of that is exactly where we are as a nation and as a people. Inventors of evil things. It says in, 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 that in the days of Noah, every intent, every thought before God was just, it, the people was just evil. That every intent of their thought was just evil before God. That's where we are right now. Evil is celebrated. It is, it is, it is, it is, it is just applauded. And that's what it says in verse 32. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure. They applaud those that do them. That's where we're at. That's where we're at. So the, the unconverted are defiant, are rebellious against God. Ephesians 2 verse 2, Acts 26 verse 18, and Colossians 1 uh, verse 13 say that the unbeliever is under the dominion of Satan. I'm going to talk about this in a, in a few moments, but they are of their father, the devil. And Ephesians 2 verse 1 says that the unbeliever is dead, D-E-A-D, dead in trespasses and sin. That is the complete antithesis of the Christian. Believers cannot live in an unbroken pattern of sin and they can't do it from several reasons let me take you back first john chapter 3 verse 4 this is what it says whosoever commits sin transgresseth the law for sin is the transgression of the law sin is incompatible with the law of god and the redeemed are to love god's law psalm chapter 119 the longest chapter in the bible talks about the the, the psalmist's love the child of God's love for God's word and for his law. Psalm 119 verse 97 says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Verse 113, I hate those who are double-minded, but I love your law. 
One, verse 163, I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. Verse 165, those who love your law have much peace and nothing causes them to stumble. Why do the redeemed love the law of God? Because it in obeying it is how we show our love for the one who first loved us. And the believer, the true born-again Christian, cannot live in continuous violation of God's law. First John chapter 2, verse 3 says, And hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. One of the first fruits that is born from the new birth is that that person wants to obey the Lord. Right? They want to obey the Lord, not out of I'm trying to earn his love. He's already loved us, but we, we, we want to show him that we love him. And then ver, ver, verse four, it says that he that saith I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. It is complete antithesis to who the child of God is supposed to be. First John chapter three, verse 24 says, and he that keepeth his commandments dwells in him. And um, uh, Wes talked about dwelling in uh, Sunday school. Dwelling means to abide in. When we obey God, we are dwelling. We are abiding in his spirit and he in us. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. The Holy Spirit will not allow us, will not allow us to continue in unrepentant sin. Sin is incompatible with the work of Christ who, who, who came to take away the sin of the world is what uh, John the Baptist says. First John chapter three, verse five says, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sin and in him is no sin. So for the believer to run right back to the very sin and stay there that Christ Jesus reached down and saved him out of, it just doesn't make sense. It's in whole water. Sin is incompatible with the work of Christ and sin is incompatible with the work of the Holy Spirit who in the new birth plants the principle of divine life in the heart of those who've been redeemed. First Peter chapter one, verse 23 says, for you have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed that is through the living and enduring word of God. And first John chapter three, verse nine says, whosoever is born of God, does not commit sin. They don't practice it. They don't practice it. It's not their, their normal habit or quality of life. His sin, his sin, his seed remaineth in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. The true, genuine, bona fide, real deal Christian cannot continually live in sin. They cannot, like the dog, return to its vomit and stay there. Their conscience will not allow it. The Holy Spirit will not allow it. And as we saw last week in verse 16, the Lord may see fit to call us out of here early. Point number two, we know the protector. So we know the, we know the personality traits and we know the protector. Look at it. Look what it says in Verse 18, we knoweth that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And that wicked one toucheth him not. 
The Lord Jesus Christ does not, does not, does not lose those whom he saves. If they deconstruct the Christian faith, or if they become apostate or walk away or however you want to phrase it, it's not because they lost their salvation. First John chapter 2, verse 19 tells us it's because they were never of us to begin with. They went out from us because they were not of us. Christ will not lose anyone that he died to save. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Now, I love this ver I love this passage, these, these three verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us unto a lively hope, not a dead hope, but a living. It's alive, a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, that is reserved in heaven for you. For who? Those who are kept, kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be redeemed at the last time. Now, Satan can tempt and Satan can harass just like he did Job in Job chapters one and two. How many of you ever feel like Job? You just feel like just that Satan is just, he's not on anybody else's case in the whole world, but yours. That you seem to be the only one that he's honing in on and that he's attacking and that he's got all of his legions of demons just attacking you and nobody else. Anybody else ever feel like that? I'm the only one? Okay. Y'all gonna have to help me. Uh, but, but he can tempt and he can harass, but he can never reclaim. Look, what again, look again at what it says at the end of verse 18. And that the wicked one touches him not. Satan cannot take someone that the Lord Jesus has redeemed and birthed into the family of God. Satan cannot pull them back into the family of the devil. R.C. Sproul once said, he said, true Christians can disappoint God, can disobey God, can offend God and grieve God, but they can never be estranged from God. God no longer deals with us as unbelievers, but he deals with us as his children, as I talked about last week. And Jesus will not fail to keep the redeemed who have been given to him by the Father. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 27. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. I know them. If you have put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he knows you. He doesn't just know you in this vast, uh, faceless multitude that is his church. He knows you. He knows you intimately. He knows you personally. He knows his sheep. And he says, I give to them eternal life. I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, the Apostle Paul writes, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed because I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that 
day. Jude chapter 24 and uh, Jude verse 24 and 25, because Jude is only one chapter. It says, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. The Lord Jesus Christ has not failed to save. He will not lose anyone that he died for. Christ keeps his children, but also, also, his children need to de- discipline themselves to keep themselves. We're told that in the word. First Timothy chapter five, verse 22 says that the children of God are to keep themselves pure. We're to keep themselves pure. First John chapter three, verse 22 says that the children of God are to, uh, uh, and whatsoever we ask, we receive in him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. We, keep, we are to keep the commandments of the Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 says that Christians are to keep the faith. We're to keep our eyes focused on the Lord Jesus. James chapter 1, verse 27 says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained, keep oneself blameless from the world. We're to have that good testimony. We're to have that good testimony before the world, in front of the eyes of the world. Christians are to keep themselves unstained by the world. And 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says that we're to abstain. We're to flee from the very appearance of evil. So sin and the Christian, they don't jihad. They don't go together. Right? Some of you I know are familiar with that old farming term with the mules G right and haw left, right? And if and, and, and when and when you would give the command, if they pulled in different directions, it means that they didn't G ha will sin and cry and the Christian don't go together. They don't G ha. I've said it many times. We won't be completely sinless until we get promoted to heaven. But we should strive to sin less. Because he is worth all of our effort, all of everything that we could offer him. Point number three, look what it says in verse 19. We see the proprietors. We see the proprietors. It says, and we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in wickedness. Or it may say in a more modern translation, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Verse 19 states very plainly that there are two kingdoms at conflict in the world. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. There are two families in conflict in the world. The family of God and the family of Satan. So you either belong to God the Father or you are of your father the devil. There is no neutrality. There is no middle ground. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11 verse 23, he said, he who is not with me is against me and he who does not gather with me scatters. If you are not out and out, sold out, all in with the Lord Jesus Christ, you are, you are trying to destroy his kingdom. James chapter 4 verse 44 says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever there will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. There's no middle ground. There's no such thing as straddling the fence. You're either out and out, all in all with the Lord Jesus Christ, or you're not. And there are 24 hours in a day, 
168 hours in seven days. You cannot live like the devil for 167 hours and think that an hour on Sunday morning is going to cancel out all of the rest. A friend of mine and I were having this conversation. And I've said this before. Just coming to church makes you, makes you a Christian about as much as sleeping in a garage makes you a car. Coming to church is a symptom that you've been redeemed. It is a fruit that you have been born again. Because you have been birthed into the family of God, you want to be around other people that have been birthed into the family as well. And in this life, there's only two choices. Two choices. Christ or chaos. Christ or chaos. And that's a, that's a choice that goes with us whether a person is lost and in need of repentance and needing saving faith in Christ. And it's also that of the Christian. Every morning you get up, you've got a decision before you. Christ or chaos. You can either do things the Lord's way and you can obey him and you can put him first and he, and, and just, just by purely obeying the Lord, that right there will keep you from the foolishness of our sinful choices. Amen? Or you can choose chaos. You can choose to do things your way. You can choose to do things your way contrary to the commands of God and see where that gets you. Let me read to you, let me read to your hearing from uh, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 and following. It says, see, I have set before thee this day life and good, death and evil, in that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and its judgments and thou mayest live and multiply and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. There's the Christ. The blessing that is yielded from obeying the Lord. Verse 17, but if thine heart turn away so that thou wilt not hear but shalt be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish and that, and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land whither thou passest over Jordan to go to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that thou both, thou and thy seed, may live. It's Christ or chaos. Christ or chaos. You want to look what it, you, we know what it looks like with the, the news, the news things that we see on television with footage from Chicago, right? Chicago, Illinois is one of the most lawless cities in all of the United States of America. Every weekend, untold dozens of shootings, you know, some, some 20, 30 or more people are shot from Friday to, to Sunday. Chaos. Chaos. You are either going to follow the triune God of heaven and earth or you will follow the devil. You will either seek to obey God and keep his commandments to show your love and devotion to him and his commandments are not grievous or you will do what is right in your own eyes and listen to the satanically influenced world system and you will reap the harvest from that. 
Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, there is a way that seems right unto the man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. And verse, verse 19 says that we that are of God, we know that we, that we, we know that we are of God. The true child of God knows who they belong to because it is their sincerest heart's desire to please the God that called them, that saved them, that birthed them into his family, that wrote their name in the Lamb's book of life. And again, when we obey God, we're protected. We're provided for with everything that we need. The Lord gives the desires of, of, of the hearts to the, to the ones that have him first and foremost in their life. And we are protected from our own foolishness and the consequences of our disobedient, sinful choices. Christ or chaos. That's the other alternative. Look what it says at the end of verse 19. It says, we know that the world lieth in wickedness, or we know that the world lies in the power of the evil one. When the true God is not acknowledged, what I read to you from Romans 1 a little bit ago, that's, that's all that remains. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. And we cannot know anything unless we first begin with God. And we live in a society that's told God to get out of every area of our life. We've run him out of government, schools, and out of the home. He's been run out of every single area. Government, public marketplace, everything. And even out of the home. The triune God is the only list that he's first on in the United States is to cuss at to mock, to deny, and to blaspheme. And when that happens, the whole world, that means all of its systems, the politics, the economics, education, entertainment, and religion lies in the power of the evil one. And this evil world system is hostile toward God and hostile toward his church. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. It's okay to talk about God. But when you get specific and you talk about the triune God, you talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, then you were vilified, then you were run down, then you were told to be quiet, then you were told that you need to be done away with. The world, this satanically world system is at opposition towards God and toward his church. Ephesians 2 verse 2 says, wherein ye walked in times past according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. That's what we see. Satan is indeed the God of this world, of this age. He is in full charge right now, uh, running rampant. The world takes its cue from the devil. And because the world is completely under the influence of the devil, we as believers must avoid being contaminated by it. We are to be in the world, but not of it. We're to be stark, different, look different, think different, walk different, talk different, smell different from the rest of the world. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's right. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's uh, 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 right in the eyes of God. 
And again, there's no middle ground. Point number four. Finally, we know the perfect. We know the perfect. Look what it says in verses 20 and 21. It says, and we know that the Son of God has come and have given us understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. The, these closing verses, they bring this thing full circle. They bring this epistle full circle. John began with the word of, uh, with the word of life in chapter one, verses one through four. And now he closes with the certainty that the son of God has come. And this is very appropriate for us this time of year as we're celebrating the season of Advent or, or the Christmas season, the, the first coming of the son of God. Christ has come truly God and truly man eternal God veiled in mortal flesh that's why we sing what we sang this morning Christ by highest heaven adored Christ the everlasting Lord late in time behold him come offspring of a virgin's womb veiled in flesh the Godhead see hail incarnate deity pleased as man with men to dwell Jesus our Emmanuel, and that word Emmanuel means God with us. And that is what we celebrate. That is what we celebrate more than anything, more than a tree, more than lights, more than presents. We celebrate the incarnation of the Son of God. The Christian faith is not theoretical, we aren't believing in something that is based off of Aesop's fables. It is rooted in the practical truth that God became man in the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 20 tells us that Jesus came to give us understanding. We read John chapter, uh, the, the John chapter 1 this morning. We talked about it during Sunday school. John puts it this way in John chapter 1 verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. Christ came to give us understanding so that we may know the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Bible teaches that the only way to know the true and living God is through Jesus Christ. No one can be saved apart from him. Let's look back real quick, real quick. Let's look at, the, at some of the ways that we've been told this through this epistle. Chapter two, chapter two, verses one and two says, my, my little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sins, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation. He is that mercy seat. He is that perfect sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. Verse 10, verse 10 of chapter two. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. And, chapter, and verse, verse 14 Verse 14, I have written unto you fathers because ye have known him that is from the beginning. That's Christ. I have written unto you young men that you are strong, that the word of God abides with you and you have overcome the evil one. And look again at chapter five, verse one. Whosoever believeth that Jesus Christ is born of God and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him and is begotten of him also. Christ has indeed come in the flesh. 
John chapter 14, verse 6, we're all familiar with this one where the Lord Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come unto the Father but through him. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says that there is salvation in nothing else and none other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you and I must, must be saved. And John used... John's threefold use of the word true stresses that, stresses the importance of understanding the truth in a world that's filled with Satan's lies. And the last term, the, the last use of the term uh, true points to the most significant truth of all. Look what it says, that Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life. This is the true God and eternal life life. The deity of our Lord is an essential element of the Christian faith. No one who rejects it can be saved. The Jehovah's Witnesses can call themselves Christians all they want to, but they deny the truth that Jesus is God and therefore they cannot, they are not saved. They can be nice all they want to, they can live as clean as they want to, and they are and they do, but they'll take it with them to hell. Because they must believe in the true Christ as he is revealed in the scriptures. And I've said this many times. We must believe what the Bible says about Jesus. And what you believe about Jesus affects what you think about everything else. It it will have an effect on how you think, how you feel, how you treat people. It will touch every area of your life. And that's why John concludes with that warning. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. This reflects the crucial importance of worshiping the true God exclusively. Worship God and none else. Worship the true God and none else. God is a jealous God. He is jealous for his people's time for his people's talents, for his people's attention, and for his people's worship. And the danger of idolatry, it was very real there in Ephesus at at that time where it's believed that John wrote this epistle, right? In in Ephesus, there was the temple to the false goddess Diana or, or Artemis, however she was referred to. And you can read in Acts chapter 19, verses 23 through 41, where a few decades earlier, the apostle Paul went through there with the gospel and tore up Jack, Right, He sparked a riot by those uh, zealous uh, Diana worshipers. He went in there with the gospel. The Lord started saving people and pulling people out of that false worship. And the people that, that worked in the temple, the people that sold false idols, they didn't like it. They didn't like it at all. They were, Paul was destroying their way of life, the way that they, were, that they made a living. And the great, the great uh, Protestant reformer, John Calvin once wrote, he said, the human heart is a factory of idols. If that ain't true, human heart will work, will, will fashion anything to worship. We will worship anything and everything. We'll worship famous people simply because they're famous. Worship actors, actresses, athletes, singers, musicians, rich people, whatever. 
If their face is on a TV or on a radio or on the internet for long enough and enough people see them, they get to the thought of that they're, they're important and people will stand in long lines for hours, spend extreme amounts of money to see these people. And I, I, I've seen footage where, where people would you know, uh, meet Elvis Presley in the height of, of his popularity or the Beatles and they would actually shake and convulse and faint. Folks, that's idolatry in its highest sense. And that still happens today. I mean, people get painted up and go sit in the cold for, 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 for their favorite football team and stand and scream and shout. That's idolatry. And that's the influence of the satanic world system. Sporting events are fine if you view them in the right light. But Michael Jordan puts his britches on the same way the rest of us. He's going to have to stand before God just like the rest of us. And of course, the, the false religions of the, of the world are idolatrous. Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Ju uh, even Judaism because they deny Messiah. Mormons, etc. all worship false gods. But how about here in the States where people want to craft the worship of God to their own heart's desires? When they want to worship, they say they want to worship Him the way that they want to. You know, since the pandemic, people have said things like, you know, I don't have to go to church. I am the church. I can worship God wherever I want to. Or how about the contemporary churches have catered worship styles to suit the needs of the unbelievers as opposed to the desires of God. He should be the one that we should be focused on as to who, if, if he is pleased with worship, not if whether or not we are. People say, hey, I want to worship God the way that I want to worship God. Well, shouldn't we worship him the way that he desires, the way that he wants? Worship in itself has become an idol in the hearts of many people. They're more focused on the, the atmosphere. What's everybody wearing? Is everybody, is everybody dressed up? Is everybody casual? Is it, uh, uh, what's, the, what's the lighting like in there? What's the style of music? And shouldn't God be at the center of that? I mean, he gives the, 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 the gifts for all. There wouldn't be music if God had not given it as a gift to people. What about images of Christ? We're going to talk more about this Next year, when I sometime next year, whenever I go through the, the Ten Commandments, you know why movies like the the Son of God and the Passion of the Christ and TV series like the like the Chosen and the Bible and AD? Do you know why they're so popular among people that consider themselves Christians? The vast majority of Christians in the states too lazy to study. And we want the Cliff Notes version. We want the abridged version. We want it, do, it. It takes effort to study. It takes effort to search and to dig in the scriptures. Don't take a lot of effort to sit there and click a button and watch the screen. And that's what we see happening. That's what you see happening here, here, here in the states. It takes no effort to look at a screen, and that's the American way, right? We don't want to wait for things. We don't want to have to do the hard work. We don't want to have to dig. Right? That's why we have things like the microwave and the Instapot and the air fryer. Because it takes too long to fix things on the stove. 
That's why we invented fast food with drive-thrus. And if we have to wait more than five minutes in a drive-thru line or more than 10 minutes in a restaurant, we lose our minds. And that bleeds over into our Christian lives when it should be the other way around. For the believer, it is Christ that is to be the center of our lives and what we know about him, how we view him and how we serve him, that is to affect every area of our lives. So if we are zealous and disciplined and strive to learn all that we can about Christ and zealous and diligent to study, to trust and to obey, that work ethic is going to bleed over to every area of our lives. But instead, we want to settle for a Cliff Notes version a version that in many ways goes beyond what Scripture does. Yes, some taking a poetic license to fill in the gaps, but taking liberties with others. And if you don't think that won't shape the way you view the Lord, you are mistaken. And some might say, well, isn't that being a little legalistic and straining in that? Maybe, maybe. But let me turn it around on the person that says that. Could it be that that's true biblical Christianity and that possibly your view of Christ is just way too low. Matthew Henry once wrote, since you know the true God and are in him, let your light and your love guard you against all that it is in advance opposition to him or competition with him. Flee from the false gods of the heathen world. They are not comparable to the God whose you are and whom you serve. Adore not your God by statues and images which share in his worship. Your God is an incomprehensible spirit and is disgraced by such sordid representation. Hold no communion with your heathen neighbors in their idolatrous worship. Your God is jealous and would have you come out and be separated from among them. Mortify the flesh and be crucified to the world that they may usurp the throne of dominion in the heart, which is due only to God. The God whom you have known is he who made you, who redeemed you by his son, who has sent his gospel to you, who has pardoned your sins, begotten you unto himself by his spirit and given you eternal life. Cleave to him in faith and love and constant obedience in opposition to all things that would alienate your mind and heart from God. To this living and true God be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you and we praise you for this wonderful little epistle, this powerful little book. May you engraft its eternal truths on all of our hearts. And may we, with all of our earnest being, search ourselves and seek to serve you with every ounce of our heart, mind, and strength. For all these things we ask in Jesus' mighty name, amen.